Amen. Don't we like that good old quartet music? <clears throat> and that was some old quartet music, too. So it just. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I left it there. So just. <laughs> if you will, get your Bible and turn with you to Colossians chapter 4. We're looking at today when the roll is called up yonder, who will be there? All right. Well, I want you to do something this morning. Turn, get your hymn book and turn to page 516. That's where that song is. And I want us to read these words. When the roll is called up yonder. I've often wondered, where is yonder? I've never heard of that before. But nonetheless, we're going to ponder yonder, huh? So it's... Today we're talking about our position in God's on God's team. Now, Robertson Avenue Baptist Church obviously is a separate church from anybody else in town. A lot of things in common, but a lot of things different. We do things different sometimes. We got some people that are quite different anyway. So, but we won't go into that. If you're visiting with us this morning, I apologize. We have a good time here, in all seriousness. But when the roll is called up yonder, who will be there? If you will, turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. And I'm going to ask you if you would to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 4 through 18 in Colossians chapter 4. This is one of Paul's books that he writes. And he's coming to the close of it now. And he says, in fact, let's go back up to verse 3. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be the grace seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each other, each one. <clears throat> Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you this very purpose, for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are circum of the circumcision, that they prove to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who was one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, also laboring fervently for you in our prayers that you may stand perfect and, be, and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea, in those in Hierapolis, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are of Laodicea and Memphis and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of Laodiceans. And that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And to, and to Archippus, 
Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for the writings of Paul and what he just said to us. But Lord, we just there's so much more that he's saying and speaking to us that we need to look at today. Lord, you would just open our hearts and minds that we can put ourselves in this place that Paul's talking about. And that, Lord, you would use this time. And, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being here. Thank you for each one that's here. Especially thank you for our visitors. And, Lord, we just ask that they are made to feel welcome as they share with us this morning, just as they are part of our service. Go with us in these next few moments. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, Paul had a way that when he wrote one of his letters, he would list some names of people. You just heard several of them mentioned there. But this, this message is about names. Most of us remember from varying degrees when we were in school days perhaps, and every morning our teachers would call the roll, and you'd have to answer, here, or whatever. And, it's, uh, and many of you still maybe even attending school and probably have some kind of a role, maybe not like it was in grade school and so forth, but the title of this message is from the old hymn, When the Role is Called Up Yonder, I'll Be There. In case you're not familiar with it, there's a story behind that hymn. In 1893, James Black was a Methodist Sunday school teacher in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. One day he was calling roll for his Sunday school class, and one of the young girls named Bessie didn't answer when her name was called. Mr. Black knew Bessie's situation and that her dad was, well, to put it bluntly, uh, the town drunk. And it wasn't uncommon that she missed Sunday school because of her father. Mr. Black says, well, I trust that one day when the roll is caught up yonder that she'll be there. As he walked home, he thought about the, his statement and tears filled his eyes as he prayed for young Bessie. He immediately went, outside, went inside and wrote the words and music, which he said came to him effortlessly. Let's turn that page. It's on page 516 in your hymn book. And just to read a few of these words, because I think it's worth reading. Page 516, when the roll is called up yonder. Read along with me in, in uh, verse 1, if you would. When the trumpet of the, sound, of the Lord is sound, and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair, when the saved on earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Let me ask you this morning, do you know without a doubt when that roll is called that you'll be there? Do you really know it? I mean, seriously. Another interesting story about that song, as a bit of trivia, this song was sung in 1941 Academy Award winning pitcher, Sergeant Yark. You may be wondering, where is up yonder? Where is that? Will the role be called up there? This morning we're going to look and see not only does God love the whole world of humanity, but He loves individuals just like you and me as well. In heaven, 
Jesus tells us he's got a role written in a book. And one of these days, that book's going to be very, very important. I know that we've heard all of our lives people say something like, well, you just be good and you'll go to heaven when you die. That's a lie from hell. There is no truth from that whatsoever. It's not that good people go to hell and bad people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. There's only one kind of people that go to heaven. It's called the saved. You've got to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the only gate. Jesus says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so just because there's a heaven up there and just because we have a good God doesn't mean that we all go to heaven. Even a lot of Baptists probably are not going to make it. In fact, probably more Baptists than anybody else. No, I'm I, I just kidding there. But this is the, a message from Colossians, a little short book. And at the end of all of his letters, Paul lists the names of individuals. In fact, if you go back and look in all of his letters, he lists over a hundred names of people. And that's what we're looking at today. Now, what, what's the importance of that? When some people get to this point in the book of Colossians, they just sort of scan over it. Well, I don't want to read all those names. That, it doesn't mean anything to me anyway, and so forth. But I found there's a wonderful treasure to be found in the people that Paul mentions. And I think it's a lesson for not only our church, but every church. If we listen to what he says, we can apply it to our church. Our church is... Not perfect. If you're visiting with us, I hate to share with it with you, but we've got imperfect people sitting here. We're just common, everyday people. But I believe with all of our hearts that we want to be the church that God desires us to be. I believe that's the desire of this church. Paul mentions, as he finishes the letter, he mentions ten different people. And we're going to look at these real quickly. Colossians, we just read the verses that go to it, but when you finish class in school, you usually have a final exam. As we finish this little book of Colossians, you might consider this as your final exam. The exam this exam will consist of four simple questions, which can be answered with a simple yes or no. Number one, do you understand your position on God's team? Now think about that a minute. What is my position on God's team? I'm coming from the perspective of I'm trusting that everyone in the room is, is Christians. So what does God call us to do as Christians in this church? I'm not worried about the other churches in town. They've got their own deal to deal with and so forth. But Paul's talking to us from this church perspective of Colossians. And he says there are certain things that we need to do. And it's very interesting what he brings out to us. Do you understand your position on God's team? Do you understand that? One thing we learned from this list of names is that Paul had many friends that helped him in the work he did. He named some of them here. Just mentioned we have ten that he names here. But if you go to the other books he writes, there's others. In fact, there's over a hundred names that he lists in the Bible and tells us that these people have helped me. They've done this for me. They've done all these different things. 
Each one of these friends had a special role to play on God's team with Paul. For instance, Tychicus was Paul's, what I'm going to call the FedEx guy. You say, what are you talking about? He's the one that delivered these messages, the Bible tells us. He was his FedEx man. He got these. He brought him letters, and he took the letters to other churches and went around, and that's what he did. He was a FedEx man. Now they, he may not have drove one of those brown trucks. No, that's that's the wrong company over there. That's uh, what's that? Yeah, white truck. That's it. Yeah. Anyway, I don't. Never mind. Let's get that way out of here. Keep in mind this whole time that Paul was in prison. He had chains on him. He was literally waiting to be put to death. He didn't know when the day would come that they would open his cell door and say, that, uh, Paul, guess what? You're going to go meet your maker today and carry him out. Of course, that did finally happen. But he didn't know when it was going to be. And so it was up to Tychicus to deliver these letters to their destinations. And so he had to have help. That's the same way it is with every church in town. There is no way one or two people can do everything. And he calls us together to form a church so we can accomplish certain goals, certain things. Chichikas delivered the letters to their destinations. You may not be a preacher or a teacher, but you can be like Tychicus and hand out perhaps worship bulletins or visitors cards or greet the visitors. We've got several visitors this morning. We need to reach out to them and let them know, that hey, it's good to have you here this morning. Come on back. We'd love to have you. But there's also some other things here. To hand out, you know, to do the work that's behind the scenes, I guess the best way to put it would be. But then we see another man named Epaphras. What was Epaphras' job to do? He was a prayer warrior. And one of the great things about this church is, as we meet here this morning, we have people in other parts of the building that are praying for this very service. And I like that. In fact, we need to have that done more often. We have a handful of them that do that. Every week they go to a room or go to a place and they, while we're having service, while the music is going on, while everything's going on in this service, they're back there praying even right now for this service. Epaphras was a prayer warrior. It says he literally wrestled in prayer. The Greek word is agonia, from which we get our word agonize. Remember, prayer is not only worship, it's warfare at the same time. I thank God for the people in our church who wrestle in prayer and agonize for the lost to be saved for our church. We have some people that do that on a weekly basis. In fact, there's a need for more. If you would like to be a prayer warrior, see myself or somebody, and we'll, be, we'll put you in touch with it. And all they do is, during the service, they go to a room individually, by themselves, maybe two or three. I don't know how they do it. But they go into a room, and they pray for this service every Sunday morning. While we're in here singing and having a good time and singing the songs, they're back there praying that God do something in the service moving that service and so forth. They agonize for the lost to be saved and for our church to 
be the church that God wants us to be. Then we come to a name that we do know. His name's Luke. We've heard that name before. Luke was Paul's companion, but also, you know that Luke was a doctor. He was also, also his personal physician. Now, over the last few weeks, I've come to know physicians pretty good. Not by choice, but because I had to. But I'm back. In fact, I'm better than I was. But it's, uh, but, you know, it's not fun going to a physician. It's just not. It's not fun being in a hospital. But it's part of life. We probably all do it sooner or later. But he was his, Paul's companion, Luke was Paul's companion and his personal physician. But he was also the one who recorded Paul's missionary adventures. When you consider the gospel according to Luke and Acts, Luke was a Gentile, keep in mind. And he was responsible for writing more of the New Testament than any other individual in the Bible. That's amazing. There is never any account of Luke preaching. He never preached a sermon, as far as we know. There's nothing recorded about it. But those who provide physical care and keep good records reporting what God is doing are valuable members of God's team. Now, what do you, what's that got to do with this? I want you to see that every person that sits in the room, there's a purpose for you being here. Everyone, nobody should not have a job in a God-serving church, no matter where it is. Now, we come to something next, that the, a person that it's, I'm a little confused on it. I've, I've tried my best to research this, but it, uh, one commentary says, and then the only female on the list was Nymphia, whose name means beautiful maiden. She performed the ministry of hospitality because she opened up her home to have a church in it, to start a church, to meet there. One of the greatest ministries you can do is to perform hospitality for people. Again, we have visitors here this morning. Hopefully we have them every week. We need to be hospitable to them, to reach out to them, to greet them, to welcome them, to let them know that we care about you and we want you to come back. Now, I say that's a little challenging because the, uh, one of the commentaries I was reading said that the only female on the list, whose name is Nymphia, whose name means beautiful maiden. But there's a problem with that. In fact, if you will, turn back with me to the passage we just read, uh, Colossians chapter 4. So I, I, I'm really, I don't quite grasp this. I think I've got a little bit of a hand on it, but look at verse 15 of chapter uh, 4. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Now, I spent last week reading different commentaries and trying to feel, wait a minute, that seems opposite what the commentary says. But it clearly says Nymphia was a man. But if you go and look up the word in the Old Testament Greek, it means a woman. Now, I don't know how to explain that. I mean, I'm really baffled about that. But it clearly says in, in his house. But let me ask you something. Now, I don't know how it is in your house, but 
you know, every month I pay the house payment. I pay the electric payment. I pay all the, the bills, or 90% of them anyway. But I wouldn't dare say that's my house alone. Because I've got somebody that lets me know real quick, no, we do it this way in this house. And she's my boss. And I'm lucky. <laughs> somebody said that. <laughs> but what, what I'm trying to say is perhaps, and this is one of the commentaries that brought this out, perhaps this is a lady that was a good Christian lady, a good, a good Christian man, excuse me. And it's talking about the household, the husband and wife, and didn't go into details. I don't know that. But it clearly says that Nymphia was a man. His house. But just like I can say, oh, that's my house. But let me tell you, as it, when it comes to the household things to do, my wife's in charge. And she tells me every day, I need to do this and I need to do that. And I most of the time jump right to it. I say most of the time. Sometimes I don't. But, but anyway, so this is a, a question that I'm not sure of. Because Nymphia, the way it's spelled, it was used as a female name. But again, in Colossians chapter uh, 4.15, said, in his house. So what's the big deal about it? Not really anything. Other than the fact that they worked together, whoever it was. God had a reason for them to be part of it. It may have been a husband and wife. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. She performed the, they performed the, the ministry of hospitality. Opened up the house as a church, to be used as a church. One of the greatest ministries you can perform is hospitality. Are you opening your home and places up to be used as a church? Well, wait a minute, we can't have church in my living room. It's too small. No, but we can be hospitable to people. We can reach out to them and open our doors up and share. I know some of you around Christmas had different ones over and had a time that perhaps they didn't have anywhere to go or they just couldn't go out of town or whatever. And I know that some of you opened your doors up and they came over and joined you for Christmas. That's exactly what we're talking about. Except this was done on a daily basis as it went about. There is never any account of Luke preaching or doing anything like that. But he was Paul's helper in every way. Are you opening your home up to be used for God's work? Now, I'm not saying you ought to have you know, renters move in with you. <laughs> I don't mean that. But yet, are you being hospitable to people? The beauty of our church, and I think every New Testament church, is having a variety of members. I mean, we've got people from all backgrounds, every different thing we can think of. Each one of them has a variety of gifts. Each one of them has something different from the rest. Each one of them is important to the function of this church. I believe with all of my heart in this statement I'm fixing to make. If God led you into this church, I believe it's because he has a special, unique role for you to play on God's team here at this church. 
There is no place for people to sit on the sidelines in God's church. It's too important. Every one of us should have something to do. That doesn't mean you have to teach a Sunday school class. It doesn't mean you even have to sing in the choir. But everyone has something that we can do. And when we get it to the place where we're all participating, we're all playing our role in the church, then we'll begin to have a church that God says, this is what I want. Because He doesn't care what we look like, how much money we got, what our bank account, that's not important. What's important is are we serving in the church, in God's church? And we call this, oh, that's my church. And I literally like to say it's my church. But it's not my church. This is Jesus Christ's church. And every one of us ought to be honored to serve Him in some capacity. Everyone. I don't care how long you've been here, how long you're going to stay. It doesn't matter. God wants to use you in His work. If God led you here to this church, I believe it's because He has a special, unique role for you to play on this team. I know there's other churches in town. we got First Baptist over as a great church. There's other churches around town that are good churches. I'm not knocking them by any means. I'm just saying if God brought you here, He wants you to serve here. And He wants you to be used in this church. He wants you to be active in this church. He wants you to contribute not only money, but your talent. And every one of us have different talents. There's people that you can reach that I cannot reach because God didn't make that available for me. But there's people I can reach that you can't reach. And so we've all got to take that and put it together and add it to our team. If you aren't actively serving somewhere, then there's some aspect of ministry that's lacking today. If you aren't actively serving, there's something that's suffering because of it today. Because God brought you here for a reason. If our church is going to be what God wants it to be, you've got to find a place on God's team and start functioning in that capacity. It may be a Sunday school class. I don't know. We have different ones that will guide you to serve. Miss Amber that gave the announcements a while ago, she's our ministry coordinator. You ask her, if you want to serve someone, you ask her, and she'll find a place for you. Believe me, she'll do it real quick, too. <laughs> but she'll put you someplace. But it'll be where God calls you to serve at. The next thing we see, are you the kind of friend who sticks around when things get tough? The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 24, a man who has, who, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a huge difference between being a companion and being a true friend. And as a church body, we ought to be friends to each other. We ought to love each other. I love cutting up with people. And we've got some crazy people in this church. But I love them to death. Paul had both kinds of friends on this list. For instance, are you an Aristarchus friend? Aristarchus was a guy who stuck with Paul when the going got tough. 
Here was, he was there when Paul caused a riot in Ephesus. The Bible says in Acts 19, verse 28 and 29, Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. Later, when Paul boarded a ship to Rome, Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. Acts chapter 27, verse 2. If you know your Bible very well, you know what happened on that voyage. Remember, Paul was a prisoner. He was headed to Rome. But before the end of the voyage, he was giving orders to the others. The weather started getting rough. A tiny ship that they were in was tossed. If not for the courage of fearless Paul, the sailors would have all been lost. The shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And as Paul had predicted, none of the crew died. Not a single one. The shipwrecked. And there was a waterlogged Aristarchus crawling up the shore beside old Paul. Just swam, no telling how far to get to shore. Finally made it. Caught, crawled up and collapsed right beside old Paul. Everyone needs a friend like Aristarchus. If you want to be a friend like that, why don't you be a friend like that? That's what makes a difference in some people's lives. In contrast, there are some fair-weather friends who leave when things get tough. Every church I've ever been in, we've had people that when things got a little challenging, first thing they did, well, we need to go to another church. Well, sometimes that's true. Sometimes God moves people, not just preachers. Sometimes God's ready for them to move. That, that, that happens. But yet sometimes we throw in the towel too soon. We don't give God a chance to do what He wants to do. Perhaps you're like a Demas friend. We don't know much about Demas except he was here with Paul in prison. In the last letter we have recorded from Paul, written just before he was executed, we read these sad words about Demas. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Listen to these words. Now, Paul's writing this letter about Demas. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. Now, think about what Paul was doing. I mean, he was on the journeys starting churches, doing a work, trying to anyway. Of course, now he's in prison. And here his friend, when Paul needed him the most, left. Have you ever known anybody like that? Every Baptist church I know has had some of them. And folks, let me tell you, a church is going to go through some challenging times. Every church does. If you haven't, you will, I promise you. But yet if we keep our eyes focused on what the goal is of Jesus Christ, he will bring us through just like he did Paul. That ship was destroyed out in the ocean. Now, I'm, I'm sure they were fairly close to the sea, to the uh, uh, beach shore. They had to swim and maybe float on wood that was broke off the ship. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't a good situation. 
But they got there. They stuck together. They did that. Except old Demas. When the going got tough, he says, you know, I don't need this in my life. I'm going to go back to the old life I used to have. And he turned it in. Folks, there's a lot of Christians that do that. Demas looked at this world. He decided he loved it more than the next world. He deserted Paul. And when Paul needed his help, he was a deserter. He was AWOL from God's work. Which kind of friend are you now? Everybody needs a good friend. One of my favorite stories about friendship comes from the life of a Hall of Fame baseball player named Jackie Robinson. Y'all know, y'all recognize the name Jackie Robinson? Robinson? Because he was the first African-American to play in major leagues, he was the target of racial slurs at every stadium he went to. He was even booed in his home stadium. In one of the early games he was playing with the Dodgers, he was enduring the jeers from the, home, from the home crowd. When he committed an error, the fans rose in noisy protest, just cursing at him, calling him every bad thing you can think of, slinging all kinds of racial slurs at him. At that moment, an amazing thing happened. Pee Wee Reese, another Hall of Famer, played shortstop. Jackie Robinson was second baseman. He walked over at that moment and did an amazing thing. Pee Wee Reese stood on second base with Jackie Robinson, and Pee Wee Reese put his arm around him. They turned to face the crowd. Together they faced the crowd. The crowd grew quiet. When they saw Robinson's friend standing next to him, later Jackie Robinson said these words, I'll never forget that day. Because it was my friend's arm around me that saved my career. What kind of friend are you when somebody needs it? That's the kind of friend God wants each of us to be. You know what of someone right now who perhaps needs an arm around the shoulder? Maybe somebody's gone through a rough challenge. The holidays can be tough for a lot of people. We have people that lost their spouse in the last year, and I'm sure it was a tough holiday for them. Even though the, they were around people and everything else, and maybe not shown it, but it had to be tough. Be an aristocrat friend. Do you have a former friend who needs your forgiveness? There are a couple names on this list that are with very interesting stories. The first is a man named Onesimus. He was a runaway slave. After he escaped, he became a Christian, and he encountered Paul. Onesimus' owner was a Christian named Philemon. Philemon, some people pronounce it, a book in the Bible. The book of Philemon is Paul's personal appeal to Philemon to forgive and receive Onesimus back. He was an escaped slave. Why did he care about things that much? Because Paul cared about people. Philemon chapter ver, uh, verse 10 and then 15 to 17 says these words, I, appe I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. 
For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. That's some powerful words about a man that used to be a slave. But yet Paul cared for that man. Yes, he became a Christian. Just think, one of these days when we get to heaven, we'll get to look up these names and go see these people that have gone on before us. Paul not only asked others to forgive friends who had wronged them, but he also did it himself. This happened in the case of Mark, who's often called John Mark. There was a time when Paul had been estranged from John Mark. The Bible says in Acts chapter 15, verse 37 through 38, Now Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take him with them, the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with him to the work. Sometimes two Christians, believe it or not, can have conflict. It happens in churches all the time. We get mad at each other. Maybe something's said. Maybe something's done. Maybe someone bought an outfit like you have and they didn't want them to have it. I don't know what it is. That's what happened to Paul and Barnabas. And the wedge was between them. John Mark was a relative of Barnabas. There was a time when Paul refused to work with him because he left him years earlier when he was young. They were both younger. But by the time Paul wrote this letter, Mark was there with him. And in his final letter to Timothy, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4.11, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. Paul forgave whatever happened. And it probably was a pretty good riff. Would you take a minute in your mind this morning and just think about perhaps there's some former friends perhaps church members where you once a part of the life maybe they deserted you like Mark did and perhaps you they wronged you and they hurt you and folks people can hurt you bad even in church they can hurt us perhaps in a business arrangement like Onesimus would you be willing to receive them back? I wonder how many of us probably could think about somebody that maybe we've wronged or they've wronged us, and we've just had that divide for some time, maybe even years. Have we ever thought about calling them up and saying, you know, I've held this resentment for years, but I want to open it up to be a friend again. I wonder if we'd be willing to do that sometime. And lastly, is your name written in God's book? It's an honor for these individuals listed in Colossians to have their names recorded in the book of life. Just think, when we get to heaven, we get to meet old Aristarchus, Onesimus, and we can say, hey, I remember reading about you in the Bible. But let me ask you this morning personally. Is your name written in God's book? 
since God's book, the Bible, has been completed, there's no way that we can be added to it in Holy Scripture. But God has another book called the Book of Life. And the Bible tells us that it's possible for our names to be in, recorded in that book. That's the one that's important, really. The most important question you can consider is, is my name written in the book of life? There will be a roll call in heaven someday. It's called Judgment Day. <clears throat> the Bible predicts this Judgment Day in many places. For instance, the Bible says in Acts 17, verse 30 and 31, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. God has already appointed a day. It's on his calendar. I don't know when it is. You don't know when it is. But one day we'll be judged, and it won't be by Judge Judy either. <laughs> but it'll be by Judge Jesus. This final judgment is often called the Great White Throne Judgment. And it's vividly described in Revelation that we just studied here recently. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12 tells us, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's not my words. That's God's words. There are books, and there's another book, the book of life. These people are being judged according to what they had done recorded in the books. Don't get the idea that God records all of your deeds on one page and then all of your bad deeds on another page and he puts them together and compares them. No, you, you didn't measure up. That's not the way it happened. I believe these books of works, of works will serve as a record that no matter how many good deeds a person performs, good works alone will not get you to heaven will never gain them access to heaven. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. A person could have 50 books of good works, but if the name's not in the book of life, it doesn't do a bit of good. It's not by works that you're saved. It's by the grace of Jesus Christ. It's important to distinguish between this judgment seat of Christ. I believe the followers of Jesus will not be judged at the great white throne of judgment described in Revelation 20. But we will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. But this judgment isn't to determine if we're lost or saved but to determine how faithful we were to use the gifts that God gave us to further the cause of Christ. That's what it's about. Abilities that God gave us. So if you're a true believer, you shouldn't fear the judgment. Romans 8.1 8, says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And let me close with this. 
We've all seen TV pictures of all the movie stars out in California and different places. And, you know, there's long lines of people to get in this club or whatever it may be. And then these movie stars walk up right to the front door. And the guy at the front door says, oh, yeah, I know you, Tom Cruise. Come on in. And they get to go in front. Those sports stars, those movie, movie celebrities, they're all on what we call the A-list. Never having any trouble getting in. They just walk to the front of the line. Because they're so-and-so, they get right in. No questions asked. Can you imagine one day the great white throne of judgment as Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise, perhaps Julia Rogers, stands before Judge Jesus? I want to say Judge Judy. The judge asks his recording agent, Angel, is his name written in the book of life? If the answer is no, can you imagine one of them saying, hey, wait a minute, I'm Tom Cruise. I was in all those movies. And Jesus says, but your name's not on my book. And you're cast into hell forever. Look again, I'm an A-list guy. I get in anywhere. Anywhere I want to go, I've been accepted. What do you mean my name's not on this list? Well, let's imagine another scene real quick. I know we're about out of time. Some unregenerate churchman, we'll call him Larry Loss, standing before Judge Jesus. The judge asked the recording angel, is his name in the book of life? The angel shakes his head and says, Larry says, wait a minute. Lord, my name is written on the rolls of Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. I'm a Christian. I'm a good guy. i got to get in. But there's no mistake. Just because your name's on a church roll doesn't mean it's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 22 and 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Let me ask you again. Is your name written in God's book? Well, I hope so. I think it is. The Bible says you can know for certain. Here's how. You must admit that you're a sinner and repent of the attitude you'll never be good enough to save yourself. You can't do it. Then you must simply accept God's free gift of grace. That's the only way you can get into heaven. You say, you're just trying to scare us. I wish I could scare you out of hell and into heaven. If that would work, I'd try it every Sunday. Salvation is not by my works. It's by God's grace alone. Salvation isn't like climbing a tree. It's more like falling into the arms of God. You have to let go and let God save you. Then you can rejoice in knowing your name is written in God's book. Remember back in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus sent out the seven disciples to preach and heal the sick in his name? These disciples came back rejoicing that demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. Jesus said, do not rejoice with the spirits 
when the, that the spirits re- submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. But the news only gets better. Jesus tells us when your name is in heaven, it is written in indelible permanent marker. I sat in the office the other day and I had a par- marker and I just stuck it in my pocket thinking the cap was on it. And I have an indelible mark on one of my shirts now. It don't come out. Neither does God's salvation. When God says it, it's there forever. He said in Revelation 3, 5, I will not blot out his name from the book of life. If God writes in there, there's nothing you can do to take it out. Nothing can erase you from the book of life. Names are important to God. That's why there are so many names in the Bible. God knows your name personally. Think about that. God knows you personally. In fact, he says in Isaiah 49, 16, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hand. God's got my name on his palm. And every day he looks at it. He probably shakes his head a lot of times and says, man, what did I do? (laughs) I'm kidding, but he knows me personally. One day when the roll is called up yonder, will you be there? You will be if you're trusting Jesus Christ for your salvation. That's all it takes. This morning we're going to, just a few moments, going to stand. And we're going to have an invitation. Our deacons will be on each side of the building. If you've got a decision you need to tell, they'll be glad to talk to you about anything. They'll go through this if, they, if you need them to, just as we did. But I want to ask you, don't leave this building without Jesus. Can you imagine what could happen between here and home? Every day of the year, somebody dies on our highways. There is no guarantee that anybody in this room will be back here next Sunday. Nobody. We don't know what life holds for us. Don't leave this world without Jesus. It's too costly to pay. Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. And now, Lord, we come to the invitation time. Lord, I don't know the hearts of every man, woman, boy, and girl that stand in this room. But, Lord, I know that you've put this message on my heart. And, Lord, there's a purpose for it. And there may be somebody here today that never has totally trusted Jesus Christ. Lord, there may be somebody here that just, they've been a Christian, but perhaps they've got away and have begun to turn back to the life that, just like Demas used to live. Perhaps there's somebody here today that Lord's looking for a church home. And they say, I want to make this my church home. I want to serve. I don't want to be just a member on the roll, but I want to serve in this church in some capacity. Whatever the need is, as we stand here before you, Lord, open our hearts to be receptive to you. You know their heart. You know where they're at. Don't let us close this service until every person's had an opportunity to come to Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.